Hey everyone, welcome back to the Westbridge Church Podcast. To learn more about Westbridge Church, including our service times, visit us online at westbridgedanville.com. This week's message comes from Pastor John McDougall, and we hope it encourages you to take your next step in your faith journey. Good morning, church family. Good to see everyone here today. Exciting day as we, uh, we're going to be celebrating some baptisms a little later. I love baptisms because we have a bunch of people sitting up close and special ones today for uh, AJ and JT and the next service as well. The, the waters of baptism are going to be splashing today. But, uh, but first, we are going to get into God's Word and um, I appreciated Don's prayer, but I was thinking as we come to the Word of God, we're asking Him to recreate in us the heart of Christ as we Look to his word, the words, God spoke creation into being, he speaks still through his word, and then as we understand it, apply it to our lives, he does through his spirit a a recreating work in us. And so today though, what we're looking at, it's week two of our family series, we're calling Family Pitch-In, and really the, the big idea, the question that we're chasing is, what am I bringing to the family as as a member of my family? When I show up at the table, what am I bringing? And so we've been running with the picture of food, and I apologize if it makes you hungry, but um, we're, we're thinking about fruits of the Spirit or qualities of Christ, the character of Christ. Um, each week, we're looking at one virtue and locking in on that, looking through God's Word where that virtue is seen, and then seeking to, to bring that to the table. So last week, I had a bowl of strawberries up here, so I was thinking what fruit would symbolize the virtue we're looking at today, and as I was thinking about it, the, the peach one out because the peach has that rock solid core in the middle but then it's surrounded by an exterior of sweetness and I was reading a book on our virtue of the day the virtue is kindness and actually uh, Barry Corey wrote this book it's love kindness great book if you're looking to dig deeper this week um, he's the president out at Bi- Biola University but he uses this image of a, a peach so that was the one that, that stood out to me but kindness today is is what we're focused on and so here's the simple challenge of the day it's to bring kindness to the table as we interact with the people closest to us similar to patience last week the virtue that we looked at kindness is just all over the word of God so I'm going to give a couple scriptures where we see it and then we're going to have one scripture that we're going to just lock in on and soak in today so these first couple scriptures if you're if you're not familiar with the Bible, you might just read them from the screen so that um, you can keep up to pace. But, uh, but I'll go ahead and, and share these. The first is found in Jeremiah chapter 9, verse 23, where uh, the prophet Jeremiah says, This is what the Lord says, let, let not the wise boast of their wisdom or the strong boast of their strength or the rich boast of their riches, but let the one who boasts boast about this, that they, that they have the understanding to know me, that I am the Lord, and how does God describe himself? First word, who exercises kindness, justice, and righteousness on earth. For in these I delight, declares the Lord. Significant. What does God delight in? It's kindness. And, and who is he? What, what marks his character? It's kindness. As we think about our salvation experience and, and uh, God forgiving us, kindness is at the core of it. And we see that in Titus chapter 3. Verses 3 and 4, he says, At one time we too were foolish, disobedient, deceived, and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. 
We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. This picture of life before Christ. Being hated, hating one another. But when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, He saved us, not because of the righteous things we had done, but because of His mercy. And so we see uh, kindness is at the heart of our salvation, but then the calling of, of God to, to live like Christ the, the first call for the Christian is to live a life of love. It's to mark our life. So what is love? We ask 1 Corinthians 13, verse 4. God gives us the descriptions. First word he uses is patient. But then what's the second word he uses to describe love in 1 Corinthians chapter 4? It's love is patient. Love is kind. We know Galatians 5, kindness is a fruit of the Spirit that God's creating in us. It's, there, we, it's are somewhat passive and in that role but then he calls us to be active it's a command he gives us in Ephesians chapter 4 where he begins to list these things that we are to put on to, to be active in developing in our lives Ephesians chapter 4 verse 32 says be kind and compassionate to one another forgiving each other just as in Christ God forgave you so be kind um Bring kindness to the table is the calling of God on our lives. But we ask how and what's that look like and how does this play out in my everyday life? And God has given us a, a moment in time, a story in the Old Testament where we see kindness in full color and really it's both equipping but it's also inspiring us as we seek to follow Christ and, and live this out in, our, in the context of our relationships. And so... It's out of the life of David. We've been going through the life of King David, who, who was a king for a season in Israel. And it's tucked away in this passage, 2 Samuel chapter 9. David is, is the kingdom of uh, Israel is firmly established. And he is, uh, he's been king for some time. And listen to what he says. And what we'll do as we work through this text is we'll unpack uh, the text pausing at three vistas where we see kindness at work. And we'll um, talk a little bit about kindness at each one of these vistas. Vista one is this. When kindness goes to looking, it's intentional. So kindness is intentional. We see this in verse one. It says, David asked, is there anyone still left of the house of Saul? Now, when the house of Saul, that was the previous king in, the, in this culture, the Middle East, what you would expect David to say is, is there anyone still left of the house of Saul who needs to be exiled or exterminated? That's what you would do with the previous regime. Now listen to what he says. Is there anyone still left of the house of Saul to whom I can show kindness for Jonathan's sake? And what do we learn about kindness at this vista? When kindness goes looking. Kindness is intentional. It's true our acts of kindness, hopefully as kind people, we are, um, the random acts of kindness happen as, as we just are going throughout life and a need arises, opportunity arises, and we are kind. But in this moment, we see an intentionality about kindness that, that is to mark the heart of a kind person. An intentionality that, that doesn't just wait and let it happen, but rather says, looks out and says, to whom can I show kindness? It starts with this question. And I think, what a great question to take today and just run uh, through this week with. To whom can I show kindness? You know? To carry this question with us when we wake up in the morning, when we come to the dinner table, when we interact at work with the people around us and say, well, what was driving David to say this? 
Well, it was his uh, love for Jonathan. And we know Jonathan was Saul's son who David had developed this friendship with and actually made a promise to that I'll take care of your family. But it's a, a question birthed out of love for him, but also responsibility to, or a, a, a loyalty to the promise. What is our question birthed out of? When we would say, to whom can I show kindness? Why are we saying that? Why ask that? It's birthed out of a love relationship with our Savior, isn't it? And, and the reality in Matthew 25 where he said, what you do for the least of these, you do for me. A commitment to, to follow up on our commitment to him. And so what happens? How, how does um, this question get answered? We see in verse, there was a servant of Saul's household named Ziba, and they summoned him to appear before David. <clears throat> and the king asked him, are you Ziba? All week I've been thinking about that little uh, parakeet in the Lion King. Does anyone remember his name? What, what is it? Zuzu, yeah, or Zazu or something like that. But I'm like, is it Ziba Zazu? I keep seeing, anytime I see Ziba, I'm seeing that little parakeet. But this is a real guy. It says, uh, and the king asked him, are you Ziba? And he says, at your service, he replied. And the king asked, is there still no one alive from the house of Saul to whom I can show? Notice what he said. He adds a word here, and this is significant. This is big. To whom I can show what? God's kindness. Ziba answered the king, there is still a son, Jonathan, a son of Jonathan. He is lame in both feet. Where is he? The king asked. And Ziba asked, he is at the house of Makir, son of Amiel and Lodabar. So King David had him brought from Lodabar from the house of Makir, son of Amiel. Did you notice the, uh, the significance of the, the word David adds to the question, to whom can I show kindness? To whom can I show God's kindness? What is fueling this question? And it's the reality of, of the kindness that God has shown to David. He's living in this, this um, place of gratitude, this place of awareness of God has been so kind to me. And then it also gives us a, a window into the scope of what the king is thinking. What kind of kindness is he going to show? Is it going to be a, you know, a gift card to Starbucks? A little random act of kindness? <laughs> no, this is going to be God's kindness that, that he's going to show. It's interesting that Ziba doesn't even give David the, the guy's name. I, I don't know if this is out of, we don't know why, it may be out of protection. We know if you were part of the previous regime, you are going undercover, and maybe Ziba was just trying to protect Mephibosheth, just out of habit. You just don't go around broadcasting Mephibosheth, or he's going to be in trouble. So maybe that's the reason. But uh, David doesn't just let it lie. He's like, where is he? And when he says Lodibar, that's a long way away from where David is, but it doesn't stop him. It's like, let's go find him. When kindness goes to looking, it's intentional. To whom has God, or who has God providentially placed in your path, or perhaps as you ask the question, to whom can I show kindness, who is he putting on your mind today? Maybe it's a person in your family who, who could use some kindness. Maybe it's a person at school, you know, at that lunch table. Or um, the person who you, you notice alone. Maybe it's the person, a person at work or on your team. But when kindness goes to looking, it's intentional. I love this picture of that's the eyes through which we see as, as followers of Christ. 
To whom can I show kindness? What a great question. So, but, it, but as we read this text, we're like, who is this guy? So verse 6, we find out. It says, when Mephibosheth, son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, came to David, he bowed down to pay him honor. And David said, Mephibosheth, at your service, he replied. So we say, well, who is Mephibosheth? And we find out, page back, a couple pages, a couple chapters to 2 Samuel chapter 4, verse 4. One verse gives us a window into who he is. It says, Jonathan, son of Saul, had a son who was lame in both feet. He was five years old when the news about Saul and Jonathan came from Jezreel. So Jonathan and Saul died on the battlefield. The news comes to the family, and immediately they're like, empty the, empty the palace. We've got to get out of here because a new regime's coming in. So in the panic, his nurse picked him up and fled. But as she hurried to leave, he fell and became disabled. His name was Mephibosheth. Five years old, he gets dropped, lame in both feet trauma that I'm sure marked him. He had reason to be afraid because he was of Saul's uh, family, but even greater reason in that he couldn't run when, when danger came. And so you can imagine the panic in his heart as he sees the royal chariot, the dust cloud coming his way. He's trying to live in just, uh, you know, undercover out in Lodabar, and here comes some uh, visitors, and turns out it's the royal chariot and turns out they want the king, the message is the king wants to see you. And you can imagine his fear, his panic. And, and we uh, can deduce that from how David responds, his first words to Mephibosheth there in verse 7. He must be visibly nervous because David says, don't be afraid. David said to him, for I will surely show you what? Kindness for the sake of your father, Jonathan. I will restore to you all the land that belongs to your father, to, to, uh, all the land that belongs belong to your grandfather Saul, and you will always eat at my table. Mephibosheth bowed down and said, What is your servant that you should notice a dead dog like me? And there we just, he's recognizing David's grace to him. Here we see kindness in motion, and we'll just pause at this vista, and the, the message or the, the takeaway for us is simply this. When kindness gets busy, it's generous. When kindness gets busy, it's generous. It's huge that David would say, I'm going to restore to you the land of your grandfather Saul and give him this land. This was massive, but, but what's even bigger is what comes after the conjunction and this is the over-the-top, did not see this coming, unexpected. And just love this moment where he says, and you will always eat at my table. <laughs> Can you imagine how Mephibosheth's head must have been spinning in this moment? He goes from thinking he's in trouble to receiving the land and then to hear the king say, and I want you to be with me, to be... A, like one of my sons, to have a place at my table always. When kindness gets busy, it's generous. And when God's kindness gets busy, watch out. It's the kindness, it's in the kindness of our God that we see his glory in full display, isn't it? Patience, last week we were challenged to practice patience, and patience is an awesome virtue but patience is somewhat reactionary. It's, it's refusing to put up with the, or I mean, it, it is refusing to react to the faults of those around us. It's kind of a putting up with the faults of others. 
that kindness is, is not reactionary. It's, it takes action. It, it seeks to do good. It, it looks out. It's, it's active. It's in motion. It's moving, and it's generous. Kindness. When it gets busy, it's generous. And when God's kindness gets bid, busy, watch out. He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? Romans eight thirty two. When kindness gets busy, it's generous. Love this picture of Mephibosheth. He goes from living in the, the shadow land of fear to being given land that is his own but, but invited to this place of intimacy and this place of relationship, a place at the king's table. And you can't help but just think of our story right here, can you? And this is us when you think about where we were with God. Born because of our sin nature, far from God, born rebels, um, and then because of what we've done, separated from him, alienated from him, and you feel that distance. And maybe even today you're here and you don't feel close to God, and it's that guilt, it's that shame that we know we've done wrong things. And even this week, we've all, we continue to sin against him, even if you are his child And um, we deserve to live separated from him. But Christ came for us while we were still sinners. And and it's like our sin doesn't repel him as much as it moves him to come help us. He was uh, Mephibosheth, the lame. There was nothing in him that could run to God or run to David or, or they deserved this grace, this mercy. And yet, so it is with us. Nothing that we bring to the table is worthy of the grace God has given us. And yet he came to us, Christ did. And he uh, offers us this forgiveness, died for us on the cross in our place, and then says, come, trust me. And, and, then, and then he uh, says, now come, I want to um, do life with you. You have a place at my table. And we, our tendency is, God, I'm so unworthy, I just want to be an unworthy servant. He says, no, I'm making you my son, my daughter. I love the picture of the prodigal son, and we see it, and we, we feel that in our own lives, and it's why we come and worship this morning. But what's neat is, as children of God, when we trust him as our Savior, he says, okay, now, having received my kindness, go and be kind like that. Be generous like that. Be active, be intentional, and look out and say, to whom can I show God's kindness? I've given you these resources. I've given you your abilities and your your, uh, your unique personality and your, your money and your wisdom and your uh, relational network and all these things that, that you've are gifts from me and my kindness to you, I've given them not to hoard and to hang on to and so you can make it through life, but so that you, they can fuel your kindness and, and, and so that they can be the, uh, at, your kindness can fuel them actually as you give them out and share them with the people around you. It was May 28 of this year, the Charles Schwab Challenge, the PGA Golf Tournament. Big money was on the line. Big money, $1.5 million to the winner. And for Emilio Grillo, it had been eight years since he won the, his uh, previous PGA Tournament. I think he was around 30 years old at the time, so at 22. And so he's uh, two strokes in the lead Coming to hole number 18, all he has to do is par the hole or bogey it. If he bogeys it, he still wins. So for those of you who don't, uh, are unfamiliar with golf, a par, you, they give you four shots to get the ball in the hole. And for these guys, that's pretty normal to do. And so he's up 
Two is a pretty big lead. He can even bogey it, which is a bad thing for these guys to do. That would be one shot over par and still win this. So, man, he, now, and big money on the line, $1.5 million if he wins. If he doesn't win, if he gets second place, he loses $500,000. A half a million dollars is on this one hole. So all he has to do is hit it straight four times. He gets up, pop, into the creek, into the drainage ditch. Double bogeys the hole, which puts him in a playoff with Adam Shank, who's the guy right behind him, and he's coming up on hole 18 as well. These are the moments in golf when you just want to take your bag, throw it into the pond, and break some clubs and all that stuff. So what do you do in that moment if you're Emilio? Well, he has to stay loose. So they say, hey, go, to, go over to hole number one and stay loose, hit some balls over in hole number one. And as the camera crew's following him, it, hole number one is lonely. There's no people over there. He's off there by himself, except for one dad and two boys who were standing at the fence. That, that was all that was there. As Emilio walks up to hole number one, he turns to this dad, and the camera crew, you can tell, they're like a little confused as what's going on. He turns to the crew and he says something, and what he says is, do you guys want to hit some balls? You can see the dad, like, I'm sure the dad has said, guys, do not talk to him. He's not in a good frame of mind right now. And the dad was like, and it's like, yeah, you, you guys want to hit some balls? And the dad, uh, the guy's like, yeah. And the dad lifts these two boys over the uh, fence, and Grillo lets these guys hit balls. It was like Christmas morning for them. They are just elated, jumping up and down. One of us like giving him a hug. And I'm watching this happen, thinking, what, what is going on? Here, he's at one of the lowest points of his life. He is getting slobbernocked by failure and, and yet shows this beautiful act of kindness with his, with his abilities and his time and this moment the uh it's just a, a beautiful moment i you can youtube it and watch it later today adam shank is from vincennes and he's uh, one of the guys i've been pulling for he's just he is as good old boy down home country as you're gonna get and he's he's actually on the leaderboard this week in the fedex uh, tournament if you're wanting to cheer cheer someone on so i was pulling for adam adam to win this thing until i saw this happen and then I started praying for Emilio. And sure enough, they went three holes into the playoff, and Emilio ended up winning it. But as they interviewed him later on, it was interesting to hear his story. He said, when I saw those two boys, my mind flashed back to a moment of kindness in my own life. When my hero was in my town, and he let me hit balls. And it was because of the kindness he had received. In that moment, he just offered up that kindness to these two boys so it is for us as we live in light of the kindness that we have received through Jesus Christ remember again that we are unworthy undeserving he has poured out the riches of his kindness to us we say all right to whom can I show God's kindness for his sake and God's glory is reflected as we live that out and so, what else do we learn as we come, as we uh, watch this story of kindness play out? And the question could be asked, is David good for this? Is, is, does he make this happen? And we pick it up in verse 9 there where it says, Then the king summoned Ziba, Saul's steward, and said to him, I have given your master's grandson everything that belonged to Saul and his family. You and your sons and your servants 
are to farm the land for them and bring in the crops so that your master's grandson may be provided for. And Mephibosheth, grandson of your master, will always eat at my table. Now Ziba had 15 sons and 20 servants. Then Ziba said to the king, your servant will do whatever my lord the king commands his servants to do. So Mephibosheth ate at David's table like one of the king's sons. Mephibosheth had a young son named Micah, and all the members of Ziba's household were servants of Mephibosheth. And Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem because he always ate at the king's table. He was lame in both feet. The third vista, as we watch this story play out, and in this scene that I think God wants us to see is the king's table. And the the takeaway is this. When kindness gives you a place at the table, it's personal. Four times in this short section, God draws our attention to the king's table. And I think God wants us to see this and to fill this. In this culture, when you were invited to the table or when you did dinner with someone, it was a picture of pretty uh, significant intimacy, friendship, relationship. The king's table is provision. You know, I'm sure Mephibosheth ate okay back in Lodabar, but when he, what he's eating at the king's table is far, far better diet, I'm sure. But the king's table is much more than provision, and for us as well. God promises to provide for our needs, but the king's table is relationship with the king. It's intimacy with him. David could have said to Mephibosheth, hey, you go live in Lodabar. I'm giving you that land. You go live there. And I'm going to invite you to come back and enjoy the holidays with me. And that would have been a huge perk, you know, to go spend the holiday with the king and his family. But what does David and what does the scripture say? Where, where does Mephibosheth end up living? Significant, that last verse. Mephibosheth lived in where? Jerusalem. Why? Because he always ate at the king's table. And he was lame in both feet. The body needs food as humans, but our soul craves loving connection. And what a gift to know today, guys, as followers of Christ, that we have a place at the king's table. God promises the gift of his presence every moment of our journey home. He promised, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. We are never alone. He ministers his presence to us through the the indwelling Holy Spirit. And and in those times when we are actually alone with nobody else at our table, we're not alone, are we? He's there with us. And if you've walked with him for some time, you've experienced that and know the treasure of, of that. But he knows that sometimes we need a hug. We need people. We need relationship. And he has put us into a family, the church, his body, which is worldwide and which we, where we... uh, display and have the love of Christ for each other. We experience loving connection as we do life together. And then you think about what fuels our mission as his church. It's kindness. It's this uh, passion to, to see other people who are out there who don't know Christ, who don't have a place at the table, who are alone and could be alone for eternity, and to say, hey, we have a place for you. God has a place for you at his table, but our church family has a place for you. Say, well, I'm messed up. I've done this. I've done that. 
That's who God came for. That's who Jesus came for. Come. People living in low debar, those places of isolation and brokenness and hurt in our culture. And I just love, um, we as a church family, our motto, there's always room for one more. Love makes room. One more in our small group. One more around our, uh, our table, literally at our house. Always room for one more. As we do church, it's never about programs and buildings and all that stuff. You know, it's always good to come back to that reality. It's about people, and it's about a person. And uh, it's about kindness. It's about genuine friendship. Think about uh, that scene where Mephibosheth is sitting at the king's table, and in comes this beautiful woman, Bathsheba, and the queen, you know? And then followed by Solomon, and I'm sure is full of intellect and energy and what we know of him and and he takes his place and then here comes Absalom the man's man and this charismatic leader and and then the uh, the queen the uh, the daughters of the king and and then perhaps heads of state we know probably Joab the military commander and at some point if you're Mephibosheth you're thinking what am I doing here (laughs) sitting with these people and then you see David looking at you the king and there's kindness in his eyes. And he's looking past all these other people, and he's like, Mephibosheth, how are you doing? And he really cares. That's our king. That's our God. It's the place that we have. It's personal. It's what we long for, and it's what we offer to those around us. You know that feeling you get when you come home from a long time away, a long trip away? And perhaps you've flown and you come back into the airport, maybe it's late at night, and you step off that plane into the terminal. What's your first thought? I'm here. And if somebody, what was that? Hamburgers, tacos, longing for, <laughs> that's a thought too, but it's, it's uh, was, is somebody here waiting for me? And you just want to hug a stranger, right? Just like, you want to know your arrival matters to someone. That, that you're not alone in this life. And that you're away and now you're back and, and that, that matters to somebody. You want to check in. You want to see that familiar face. I was thinking about the uh, kindness is the one, is really that what moves us to say, I'll be the, that one for you. I was thinking about the people in our lives that don't, may not feel like I have anyone that's there for me, that's waiting for me, that cares when I arrive back home, you know? And to be that um, person that is sensitive and to where people are at and, and then says, in essence, hey, I'll be the one waiting for you when you get back from the long trip. You've got a place the table in my heart and you matter to me this moment moves us to ask the question who in my life doesn't have a place at a table they're in a season of being alone and what would it look like to invite them to your table it's thinking about in our culture maybe more like hey come play pickleball with us or hey let's get coffee or at the game you know, you see the one sitting alone in the stands and 
come sit with us. And maybe it's the person that God brings to your mind is in a season of life that's lonely. We were talking this week about the college season, and I know a number of our college students are headed off and pumped for you guys, praying for the family, praying for moms. But at college is a wonderful time, but it can be a lonely time too, can it? And maybe it's just being sensitive to a college student, or if you're going to college, just saying, hey, I'm going to be there for a lonely person and, and uh, invite them to have a place at my table. As we near the end of life, it can get, uh, it can get lonely too as all our friends start dying. And you come to, you hit your 80s and 90s and there's more people in heaven than there are around you and can be lonely. And maybe it's inviting someone in that season to the table. I was thinking about the one who struggles with same-sex attraction as a Christian and what family is going to look like for them. And what's, what does kindness look like? Sometimes we can elevate marriage as like the, this wonderful state where like we're all trying to get, but actually, what if we don't do that and, and whatever state we're in is a wonderful state, singleness included, for someone who um, seeks to follow Christ while struggling with the same-sex attraction, it would mean committing to a lifetime of celibacy for the glory of God. And we know Jesus was single, Paul was single, others are single. We, we are all single at some point. And what if, as we interact as a, a community, we, we uh, are sensitive about that, but also offer a place at our table. Say, so you are always welcome here to do life. One of my favorite kindness moments has happened way back in 1989, but my dad had just lost his wife to cancer, our mom, and it was his first Christmas alone without her. And if you know my dad, he is a people person off the chart. He, he loves a party. He could be out partying every night of the week and not run out of energy on, on uh, the social game. And so um, one day it was near Christmas and he was just feeling really, you know how you get those days when it's gloomy outside and it's just uh, just cold and he was filling it, and his administrative assistant, uh, Jean Simpson, who's a saint, she and Mib uh, could see it all over his face as he's getting ready to go to lunch. And she's, so she's like, hey, why don't you come and do lunch with us? Have a seat at our table for lunch. Well, she had not prepared to have guests, and it was one of those lunches where it was classic leftovers. And you open up the fridge, what's in there, and that's what we're having. <laughs> and so she's, pull, and she's apologized. I'm so sorry she pulls. I texted Dad this week and said, what was the menu? And he knew it just like this. It was beef stew, um, shrimp, garden salad, pecan pie, and peach tea. And Dad texted back, it was the best tasting meal ever. He said, Mib and I had a shrimp eating contest, and that, became, that lunch became a holiday tradition for the next 20 years. And every year, Gene was like, I'm going to fix you a good meal. And Dad's like, no, please don't. Can we have beef stew, shrimp, garden salad, pecan pie, <laughs> and peach tea? And they did. Why? Was it because that food was so good? No, it was because when kindness invites you to the table, it's personal. That's what our souls long for. And that's what we give to one another through Christ. And so the challenge of the day is, as we gather as families, as we do life, to bring a bowl full of kindness to the table. What if each member of our family um, this week is asking that question. To whom can I show kindness this week? Husband, wives. 
what would it look like to just be kind, right? And in that husband-wife relationship, we can just get buried under the hurts and the frustrations and the resentments. And, the, and uh, here God says, hey, this week, let's just forget all that stuff. Let's be kind. What could I do? A kindness is that sincere desire to seek the other person's happiness and then do something that expresses that, makes that happen. Parents with kids, to be kind, remembering what it's like to be a kid, the fears, the frustrations. I, was, I keep thinking about the soccer field. And what, what do you, if, you're, if you go sit outside a soccer field, what do you hear? Kick it! Kick it! Kick it! Does the kid know to kick it? Yeah. And I think you should have a parent-kid game at the start of every season in the end of... Parents, have you ever been out there, that parent-kid soccer game at the end of the season, and you're trying to kick the ball while everybody else is kicking it while you're running full speed, and you're like, this is really hard. <laughs> it just, all right. Your kid's not messy yet. It's all right. Being gentle, um, kind from the sidelines, kind in the car ride home, kind in all those other areas. It's, it's tough being a kid growing up. And then kids with parents to be kind to mom and dad. And rather than just expecting mom to serve me when I ring the bell, to uh, begin thinking, hey, God put me here to serve my mom. What if you decided, kids, I'm going to do the dishes. My mom is never going to do another dish until I leave home. Kids are like, oh, no, I'm sorry, guys. I brought that up. Something like that. that. That's a little extreme. Yeah, that's not happening yet. But, hey, it's a thought. <laughs> and what if each one of us is the body of Christ, wakes up new, each new day asking the question, to whom can I show God's kindness? What happens when we show his kindness? His kingdom comes on earth as it is in heaven. We display his glory. And we bring good to those around us. And so would you just join me in asking him for helping us? Or actually, we'll, we'll just start by, um, just take a moment and thank him for his kindness that he's displayed to you. Father, this morning as we see just this incredible moment of a king welcoming to his table this Mephibosheth, a guy who should have been his enemy and who brought nothing to the table in and of himself, we uh, see our own story and we just say thank you. Thank you for the kindness that you poured out to us through Christ. And, and Lord, we pray that you would give us your heart as we go and live our lives with those around us and we are so caught up in our own insecurities and our own agendas and can lose sight of the reality that you have put us here just to extend your kindness in a way that would cause people to see you and know you and, and uh, perhaps even open a conversation to talk about you and invite them to your table. And so we pray this question that David asks would be the one we carry with us today. We pray that you would do your transforming work in each of our hearts today. We love you and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.
If you were encouraged by today's talk and believe it would be helpful for others, please be sure to subscribe or share. To experience other messages or find helpful resources, visit us online at westbridgedanville.com.